Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. I hope everyone is doing well. Some of you are like, we'll see. (laughs) Um, Just before we get started, a couple of announcements. I believe Jordan AFA is Tuesday night, right? Tuesday night is Art for Artists. So if you are an artist or if you're thinking about art (laughs) or if you think that you would like to try something in art, this is really a cool time for people just to get together, and uh, it doesn't matter the medium. You could be, uh, you could be a poet, you could be a song crafter, you could be a painter, you could, uh, my wife crochets, so she could come. Whatever it is that you do, whatever your art, um, you're welcome to be here and uh, share in that community of people who, who are just really coming alongside to encourage one another to keep creating. So... If that's something you're interested in, Tuesday night here at the Genesis Building, our artist. It's here, right? After I said it, I was like, hmm, is it here? <laughs> uh, so yes, it is here. And um, I, I, yesterday I got a text from Sam, and it was good news. And I think he posted about it so I can say it out loud. So thank God Sam has uh, had a successful surgery, and... Uh, no worries going forward. So yeah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Good stuff. And um, yeah, that's it. So also, you guys know this is, uh, this is Genesis. This is our family. This, uh, everything that we do, uh, we do because people give and people are generous. So um, many ways that you can support the ministry here and you can find those up here on your screen. Also at thegenesisstory.com you can find a way to uh, contribute and be part of what happens here and with that I'm going to pray and we get started Father thank you so much for your love for us thank you so much that you meet us where we're at we pray Lord just as we sang that you would open up our eyes and wonder and that as Brian was saying Jesus, change the room. Enter in and, and change the atmosphere. And uh, we just ask, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would embolden us, and that maybe we would leave here with some new thoughts about who you are. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You, speaking of art for artists, you can tell a lot, I think, about an artist by looking at the work that they've created. And so 
what I thought we'd do to start is maybe post a couple of these famous works of art up here. Do you guys recognize it? Dachshund. The name of the painting? Is it a painting? Or is it a sketch? It's art. It's, it's art. It's Pablo Picasso, one of the most famous artists, right, like, of all time. <laughs> Just so everybody at home can hear, Rick said, it looks like a four-year-old did it. <laughs> so I want to tell a story about that, because one time at a museum, uh, there wasn't, it wasn't the dog, that painting. It was another painting of Picasso's. It was also it looked very kind of rudimentary. And somebody was standing there, and, and this lady said, um, she was looking at it kind of perplexed, like, this is the great Picasso? This is what everybody talks about? And she said, I could do that. And then one of the, uh, the uh, I guess he's the museum security guys, he kind, of leaned forward, he kind of leaned over to her and he said, yes, but would you have created it? You see. What we know about Picasso, we know that um, people in the art world say there was art before Picasso and there's art after Picasso, but it was never the same again. Um, and this, I, I, I picked the most simple, right, because this is the exercise. He, did, he has done some incredible work. Um, but what we know about him, thousands of works of art. Picasso created thousands, uh, countless works of art in his 91 years. A profound impact on the art world, often simple, uh, always interesting interpretations of life. He had dachshunds. That was his little, his little love. He had to dig deep into his childlike mind and create with spontaneity and fun and originality. We can learn that by looking at his artwork. Next one, a personal favorite. Who's the artist? Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Van went. Uh, the Starry Night, famous picture, uh, stark, beautifully vivid, but also very intense. Um, this, uh, this, this era of his painting marks the deepest part of his depression, and the state of his unsettled mind comes through, which only worsened until his death. Next. Next one. Do you guys recognize this? This is a very famous painting called... Nobody? Claude Monet was the artist. Uh, (laughs) The very start of the Impressionist movement was this painting, uh, which he called Impression Sunset. It wasn't reviewed very kindly when it came out because people thought it was brash and not finely detailed. But what we know about it is he, he painted the whole thing in one setting, watching the sunset. And so what we learned about Claude Monet is, this, this, again, the spontaneity, this whimsy, this perception of reality that is not reality. It's, a, it's an image, a perception of reality that's all his own. The work, like its creator, kind of reflects that. You get the sense of deep emotional pull on that somber morning sunset. 
Some of you are like, I did not come here for an art lesson. <laughs> so let's look at the next one. <clears throat> this is an Arizona. It's not a painting. It's a picture of God's creation. We can tell a lot about the artist by looking at his work. Let's see one more. The Dead Sea. You get a sense of awe or this is so beautiful. <clears throat> There's one more, and I can't pronounce the name of this place, but this, is, uh, this next one is in Iceland. Whoop, that's not it. <laughs> there she is. The Northern Lights <clears throat> in Iceland. Over a, a very beautiful spot that I cannot pronounce. So I'm not going to try. When you see these images of creation, does it, does it make you think like, man, God is so, what a creator. Like, like who could have imagined that, let alone created it all. It's pretty intense. It's pretty, I mean, I think beauty and awe and wonder and all these great big things. <clears throat> God is creator, but there's a little bit more. Let's see the next one. Do you know what that is? That's a baby platypus. <laughs> you guys are like, ah, maybe. Some of you are like, what is, is this a po Pokemon or what are we doing here? <clears throat> Let's see, yeah, maybe dinosaur, maybe. The platypus is one of the weirdest creations of all time. Just pointing that out. Let's see the next one, Rick. Do you guys know this? Shrimp. <laughs> Shrimp. It kind of looks like sushi. I don't know. Uh, this is called the pink fairy armadillo. And it's like literally about the size of the palm of your hand. And it's got some crazy claws that you look like you don't want them <laughs> crawling up your back. All right. Next. <laughs> now, you've seen the beauty of God's creation, and then you're like, but the blobfish? <laughs> I want to give you guys permission to laugh today because we're going to be talking about the humor of God. Let's see one more. The <laughs> God's finest creation, the pug. I just want to remind you that the scripture says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. When we look at the things that God has made, I mean, you can look around this room and see God's got a sense of humor. And maybe you've experienced that in your life where you're like, you know, something funny happens and you're like, oh God, you're like, I know you're funny. I know you've got a sense of humor. <laughs> we see it all the time. We see it like when you're driving somewhere and you're late and you get every red light. <laughs> Maybe you don't think that's very funny. <laughs> but it happens to me every time. Be, you know, we see it everywhere. We see this sense of humor everywhere in all of creation. The beauty, the majesty, and then also the blobfish or the pug. But where we don't see it, where we forget, I think, maybe to look for it, is in the pages of Scripture. 
because we have this long line of tradition and learning and messages and sermons and Hollywood portrayals of Jesus that have burned into the image, you know, the image of your mind or my mind, this very stoic, ferociously serious Jesus with kind of flowing blonde hair and sometimes blue eyes. But that's not the Jesus of Scripture. There is no equivalent to, uh, you know, we know that Jesus wept because there's a Bible verse that says Jesus wept. (laughs) But there isn't one that says Jesus laughed. Or even one that says Jesus smiled. But there are some things I think that we can glean from the Scriptures that give us a sense, a deeper sense maybe, of who Jesus is in his personality. And I want to point those out today. Do you know that we exist in a 3D world? You're like, yeah, that's obvious, right? But our eyes only see 2D, right? We only see two dimensions. And that's why you can't see my back right now. (laughs) If you wanted to see my back, you'd have to get up and walk behind me. To which I would say, enjoying the view? <laughs> but you see, and even when we read books or when we listen to music or when we look at art, we're seeing two dimensions when we watch TV, unless you have special glasses on, <laughs> you're watching 2D. So to see that third dimension, you have to do something, you have to get up and walk around to see what's on the other side of the chair. And the same thing is true in Scripture. If you just read it, black and white, you might miss a lot if you don't dig a little deeper. So, I'm a huge music nerd, and I totally bore my family all the time with facts about songs that they were previously enjoying until I started telling them about them. (laughs) So... um, you know, I, I, I will tell you why or what John Lennon was thinking when he wrote Watching the Wheels or uh, trying to decide, trying to decipher what any Radiohead song is about or uh, talking about the wild complexity of Kanye or the long torrid history of the Eagles. I nerd out on the facts that the details behind the songs, the things behind the stories. And sometimes I do the same thing when I read the Bible. Have you ever read a passage of scripture and then wondered, what is this about? Or, or how does this fit? Or that doesn't even make sense. And you might, you might think, oh, that's blasphemy, so I'm going to get rid of that thought right now. <laughs> But that happens to me all the time. And there's a lot of reasons for this, and I've said this before. Sometimes it's just because I don't understand first century Mesopotamian culture and um, you know, the manners and customs of the day. They did weird things to me, right? They did, they did things that I don't understand. So when, sometimes when I read a scripture and I don't understand it, it's just because I don't understand the manners and customs and culture of the time. Uh, And other times it's because I don't understand 
the interpersonal relations of 12 guys that were hanging out together for three years and living together and the dynamics that exist between them all in a foreign culture, (laughs) all of that. But here's what I do know. Every time I get to one of those stories that seems off or weird, that doesn't quite make sense to me, my mind automatically goes to some talk I've heard, to some book I've read, to some commentary that I've looked at, something I've heard before or read before. Someone has explained it to me in a way that I go, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense, even though it doesn't. <laughs> even though it doesn't really satisfy the honest curiosity that I have when I'm reading the story. Am I alone in that? Sometimes it doesn't always make sense. And today, I'm going to solve that for you. Just kidding. <laughs> I might make it worse, but I'm going to try not to. <laughs> um, but let's look at a couple passages together. We're going to start in Matthew 17. The same chapter <clears throat> that Matthew is talking, he, he tells us the stories of the transfiguration. And the same chapter in which we see uh, Jesus uh, healing a boy with a demon and Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection. You know, trivial things. Uh, and then we get to this story about taxes in the same lineup. Rick's already sweating because I said taxes. Um, <clears throat> it says this, Matthew 17, starting in verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the, of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. You might have heard this story a million times. But have you ever asked why there was a a shekel in a fish's mouth? (laughs) I mean, first of all, you have to just be like, what? But it's been explained. (laughs) <laughs> so let's, let's put ourselves in the situation. Let's, let's imagine the scene here. You're Peter. He's from Capernaum, so he's coming home to his hometown, right? And so the elders or whatever you might say, this, the city council members or whatever, they come up to you and they say, hey, doesn't your friend pay his taxes? And you're Peter, so you, you know, sometimes you, you speak before you think, and he's like, uh, yeah, yeah. And then he leaves that place to go back to his house where Jesus was staying. And you're like, I just answered for Jesus. I don't know if Jesus pays his taxes, but I just told that guy he did. So 
he's going back to see Jesus and he's thinking, does he pay taxes? Uh, is Jesus breaking the law? And if he's breaking the law, does that, is he still good? Is he still righteous? And you get to the house and you go in and you're Peter and you're like, you know, and before you can even say a word, before you can even spit out the question, Jesus goes, what do you think, Simon? Simon Peter. What do you think? Like he already knows what's on Peter's mind. Do kings collect taxes from their kids or do they get taxes from other people? And Peter says, others. And Jesus says, right. So we're sons. So we're free. But in order to not offend those little snowflakes, just kidding, he didn't call anybody names. He went to, you know, he went on to do maybe one of the funniest things he could think of to his friend Peter, one of his closest friends. He sends Peter the fisherman fishing. Because what we learn about Peter through the scriptures is that this is kind of Peter's go-to. This is where he's going to collect his thoughts. This is where he's going to compose himself. This is what he does. Like a lot of people who go fishing, it's, it's, I mean, he was a fisherman by trade, but it's also, we'll see later, this is what Peter does when he is putting himself together. Go do that thing, Jesus says, that you need to decompress. Go fish. And that first fish you catch it's going to pay our taxes for both of us. I still, when I read it, I'm like, what? Why would there be money in the mouth of a fish? Why is this the next logical thing to do? Why didn't he just say, hey, Peter, lift up that stone and there's going to be a, there's going to be a shekel right here? But he didn't. What is the logical explanation that you've heard for this? I read a bunch of commentaries about it, and it was dreadful. I mean, people, people would say things like, oh, the, the open mouth of the fish represents the hearts of the people that Peter is going to preach the gospel to when he becomes a fisher of men. No. <laughs> that's, that's not it. This is an inside joke. This is Jesus being funny. He's like, go, go fish, Peter. Go fish. We'll pay the taxes. Go collect yourself. Go put yourself together. And this is... This is Jesus' humor, and you'll see it over and over again as we go through some of these passages today, where he is, yes, he is stark, and he's serious, and he's compassionate, and he's loving, but he's also got a sense of humor because he's human. He's a person with a personality, and we so often forget that he is not just this stone-faced Jesus who is yelling, oh, you have little faith all the time. Years ago, I heard a man say, a pastor say, that he thinks that OU of little faith was a term of endearment. <laughs> like Jesus was like razzing his buddies. OU of little faith. And he called, it, he called him that all the time. Like, come on, you guys. Come on. Haven't you seen me turn water into wine? Haven't you seen me do this or do that? Now, haven't you seen a... a a four drachma coin in the mouth of a fish, the first fish you're going to catch. Jesus is funny, and he plays around with these guys more than we think. 
And if you don't believe me, we could talk about the parables. <laughs> because is it really easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle? Um, again, if you read commentaries on this, they will tell you that there was a literal gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle gate, where if your camel was small enough and you didn't have too much stuff on it, that you could squeeze through the gate. Anybody heard that? Okay. As far as I can tell, there is no evidence for said gate. And even if there was, what would be the point that Jesus was trying to make? That you can squeeze your way into heaven if you just, like, have a small camel? <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. So Jesus being funny with this hyperbole that he uses, this, like, exaggerated storytelling to get a response from people. I mean, yeah. How about nicknaming James and John, the loud guys, as the sons of thunder? This is friend stuff. This is humor. This is what friends do. Or how about the fig tree? Come on. Like there's, there's thing after thing. If you read through the passages, and I'm not asking you to, uh, I'm not asking you to imagine more than's there. I'm just saying look for it. Because over and over again, you see the personality of Jesus come out. And we think of Jesus as the man of sorrow. Um, and he is. We think Jesus is this man of compassion and mercy, and he is. But he's also the man of joy. And we can't forget that. There's this passage in Luke 10.21, where Luke writes, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what, this is what, uh, this is what you were pleased to do. This is what you were pleased to do. He's praying and he says, and there's humor in this sentence in itself, but I want us to see that he was full of joy. He was full of joy at the fact that God had revealed things to children that the wise people of the, of the earth couldn't figure out. And this is the sense of humor of Jesus. This is kind of the quintessential thing of it. Like the unexpected, the thing that you would least expect that God does, like the blobfish or the pug. I don't know if we can give, yeah. Um, like the thing that's unexpected, the thing that Jesus, that God does, that's what pleases Jesus. That's what gives him joy. And he finds some humor in it. <laughs> I think he has a little bit of a mischievous side. And now some of you are like, wait, can we say that? <laughs> but how can you read the story of the road to Emmaus and see it any other way? Let's read that. You know the story, quite possibly. It says that very day, so this is after the resurrection, right? He's been crucified, darkest day ever. Then he's resurrected. And maybe the most joyous day of his life. And it says that very day, two of them were walking to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
seven miles is a good walk. And they were uh, talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And look at verse 16 here. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. (laughs) Why were their eyes kept from recognizing him? Because he was punking them. And I'll prove it. Watch. He said to them, what is the conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them said, uh, one of them named uh, Cleopas answered him saying, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And then Jesus says, what things? Come on. He's playing. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to, to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that, this would, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, here we go again, O ye of little faith, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which, which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. He did what? He pretended. He pretended he was going on. And he was not. He figuratively pulled the wool over their eyes because he was being playful. Now, I'm not saying this is the point of this passage. There is a lot more depth than that. I'm just saying if we don't see Jesus having fun here, He's, he's even told us himself that this is, he's entered into his glory. 29, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward the evening and the day is now far spent. So he went with them, of course. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished right there in their sight. He totally pranked them. (laughs) Like I said, that's not the point of the story. This is a beloved and beautiful story. But when we recognize the personality of Jesus, that he is Jesus, the loving, the compassionate, the merciful, the patient, but he is also Jesus who enjoys a good laugh. 
And when we see that, it only gives the story more depth. Otherwise, why hide himself? Why disappear when they figure out who he is? Why the shekel in the mouth of the fish? Why the blobfish? (laughs) Humor, like most things, is different from culture to culture, so that's why I think we have a hard time finding it in the pages of Scripture. Because it looks a little different. The punchlines are different. The, uh, the, The subtlety of his humor sometimes also, I think, is... We just, we just pass over it. But it's there. And it's, the more you look for it, I think the more obvious it becomes. And we see Jesus a little differently. You can't forget that the fruits of the Spirit, right? We talk about these. When we think about Jesus, we think about all of them. And when we say joy as a fruit of the Spirit... I don't think that we think, you know, jovial joy. C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious work of the kingdom of heaven. And I think that, you know, we have that kind of influx, like we think maybe Jesus was just always stern or he was always just this, you know, straight-faced guy or whatever. But man, have you ever hung out with a group of 12 guys? (laughs) funny things will happen that's all I'm going to (laughs) say one more after the resurrection again so after the road to Emmaus uh, this one's in John 21 verse 3 after the resurrection Jesus seemed to kind of come and go and he'd appear and apparently he'd disappear (laughs) and he did as he pleased. I'm not sure what he was doing the whole time. We don't have record of it. Uh, and, but one evening, we know that Peter was hanging out with a few of the other disciples. Again, this is what I was referring to earlier. All that had happened, all that had happened in their lives, all that they'd given themselves to for three years, and now it was happening. The, the crucifixion happened, the resurrection happened. At this point, Jesus had already appeared to them a couple of times. So they knew he was, that he'd risen. Right. But here they are, not really knowing what to do with themselves while he wasn't with them. And Simon Peter looks to his buddies and he says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Why did they not know it was Jesus? Pranking. <laughs> Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, Is it the Lord? 
Oh, I'm sorry. It is the Lord. So John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, figures this out. How does he figure it out? Because this isn't the first time Jesus pranked him this way. How does he know it was Jesus? Because Jesus had already done this. He'd already pulled this joke in Luke chapter 5. At the beginning, when he was first getting to know these guys, it was like an inside joke by now. I'm sure they talked about it around the campfire a bunch of times. Remember that time when Jesus gave us so many fish that our boat almost sank, and we had to have our friends come out with another boat to haul it all in? Remember that? That's when he first met him. And this is after the resurrection. These established fishermen who had been out all night and caught nothing, exhausted after a long night, were suddenly trying to keep their boat from sinking because Jesus is funny. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a playful side. When Simon Peter heard it, that he was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. So, like, he's fishing in his undies, I guess. And for he was stripped for work, it tells us. And he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got off, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. I love this story because it's like, this is, you know, I just feel like you get to know Jesus so well here. He's, he's being funny. He's playing with them a little bit. Like, hey, Castro, remember that time we did that? We're going to do that again. And they recognized him. And they come up on shore and he's already got, those like picnic set up for him. These are my buddies. These are my friends. And here, you know, and he says to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. <laughs> I don't know why John tells us how many fish there were. It's a lot of fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. How did they know it was him? Because they recognized his humor. Because they knew Jesus in 3D. They didn't just know him by his face. They knew him by him, by him, by all of him. More than the man of compassion. More than the man with conviction. And even more than the man of sorrow. He is all of these things, but he is also the man of joy. Have you ever sent a text message that somebody misinterpreted and you got in trouble because you thought you were being funny and it came across as maybe serious or maybe this happened to you. Maybe you got a text where you're like, oh man, they're mad at me. And then you find out they're just they're joking. Right? The more you get to know someone's voice, the more you get to know who they are, then you realize, oh, this is their humor. This is their sarcasm. This is, this is my friend. This is who they are. And the same is true with words on pages. The same is true when we read scripture. The more we know his voice, the more we get to know him. And 
I don't want to bring all this to your attention just to make light out of the three years of Jesus' ministry. But I think it's important that we know Jesus in all his, all his ways. That we don't just fall prey to seeing Jesus as he's portrayed in middle-aged, middle-ages, not middle-aged, <laughs> middle-ages paintings where he's pale and gaunt and like ghostly <laughs> and doing some weird thing with his hand. But that we get to know Jesus of scripture in all his humanity in all his larger-than-life personality, with his cunning sense of humor that he used to teach his disciples to grow their faith, to coach them along. And that's what he does with us. The more clearly we see him, not just in the two-dimensional stories that we've, you know, we've become ingrained with in our heads and our minds and this is what Jesus did, this is what Jesus did, and then he did this, and then he did that. But also in the 3D way in which he is, the more we can know him, the closer we grow to him, the more we become like him. And that is my prayer for us, for you and for me, that we wouldn't just be people who know stories about Jesus, but that we become people who know Jesus who love him ever deeper and who look like him to the watching world. Amen. Next week, we're going to look at a couple other pieces of his personality and we'll continue this. Um, But for now, I'm going to have Brian come up and we're going to pray together. Father, thank you so much for your, thank you for, for the scriptures that feed us, that teach us And help us, Father, not to see them so stone-faced all the time. But you are not just the God who created the waterfalls or the northern lights or the Arizona desert, the most beautiful places we've seen. You're, You're that God, but you're also the God of the blobfish. (laughs) And we want to thank you, Father, that the joy is a fruit of the Spirit, that this that this laughter is who you are and what you deem is good and help us to not uh, help us to laugh more today and help us to see the humor in Jesus in his stories in his parables and, and how he interacted with people in such a loving friendly kind of way and help us to emulate that we ask in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.